Hello and welcome to the Nursing Standard podcast. I'm journalist Erin Dean and this episode is going to focus on tick-borne encephalitis virus, sometimes shortened to TBEV. You may not have heard of this virus before as it only recently arrived in the UK, according to the UK Health Security Agency. Spread by bites from tiny blood-sucking ticks, this virus can lead to a spectrum of illnesses, including potentially fatal meningitis and encephalitis. We're going to talk today about what nurses need to know about where the virus has been found, what kind of risk it poses, how worried we should be, and signs and symptoms. I'm delighted to be joined today by Dr. Sylviane Defray, a consultant in infectious diseases at Liverpool University Hospital's NHS Foundation Trust and a senior clinical lecturer at the Liverpool School of Tropical Medicine. Welcome and thanks for joining me, Dr. Defray. Thank you. So we've all heard about Lyme's disease, which is a condition that is spread by infected ticks. But now there is this new tick-borne disease to be aware of, tick-borne encephalitis virus. It's pretty new here, so may not be familiar to nursing listeners. What do we know so far about its likely presence in the UK at the moment? Okay, thank you. Um, That's a good question. So um, there have been some studies that have been going on um, in the in the UK um, by the National Institute of Research Health Protection Research Unit um, of Emerging and Zoonotic Infections in the University of Liverpool. And they'd been doing some surveillance work um, for a number of years. And then they identified that um, tick-borne encephalitis virus was present in ticks in Thetford Forest in Norfolk in October 2019. So we knew then when it was declared that the virus was here, um, but we hadn't had any human cases. Um, That surveillance programme carries on and has been um, sampling ticks across the UK. And so ticks have been identified as carrying this virus in a number of different regions, Hampshire, Dorset, Yorkshire, um, and some places in Scotland as well. Um, But then there was a case that happened um, towards the end of uh, 2019-2020. It was a traveller, however, who originally came from Germany um, and also uh, came from an area in Germany, in Bavaria, where there is already tick-borne encephalitis endemic. And so it wasn't clear whether or not he'd acquired his tick-borne encephalitis um, from his home country or if he'd acquired it in the UK. So that didn't really hit the news that much. But then we had the first case um, of confirmed human case in Yorkshire last year in 2022. Um, That particular person had not left the UK and developed tick-borne encephalitis. Therefore, they had acquired it in the UK. And at the same time or around the same time, there was a probable case um, illness that that fitted with the the picture um, and they were from Loch Erne area in Scotland. So that's what's now alerted the UK to say that it is endemic, meaning that you don't have to leave the UK to actually acquire this infection. And the announcement earlier this year in April um, by the UK um, Health Security Agency to declare that tick-borne encephalitis was endemic in the UK. So the evidence has been mounting and growing over a few years that it that it's been here. Um, so we know it's in the UK now. What kind of illness can TBV cause? It can cause quite a, a range of illnesses. Um, so in fact, it can be completely asymptomatic in some individuals. It may cause um, a mild flu-like illness and, and nothing more than that. Um, or it may cause an illness where it can be a bit of a flu-like illness initially, seem to get better, and then maybe a week or so later come back and have a severe infection of the central nervous system, either meningitis or encephalitis. So it has a, a very large spectrum of illness from, from asymptomatic to, to a severe encephalitis analytic picture. Yeah, so there's a real range there for healthcare professionals to be aware of, isn't there? Absolutely. (laughs) 
And and what can put someone at higher risk of being bitten by a tick? And I, I guess these these are the same things that put someone at higher risk of other tick-borne diseases like like Lyme disease as well. Yes, I think um, we've probably not um, known a huge amount about ticks in terms of um, the range of where they can be picked up. Um, we, we knew traditionally certain areas in the UK were very high risk for um, ticks being prevalent um, and certain areas in the Lake District, the Peak District, um, down in Dorset and in Scotland. We knew already that there were a lot of ticks um, and Lyme disease from those areas has been very prevalent for many years. Um, I think what's becoming more apparent is that there's new areas that ticks are spreading to. Um, and certainly global warming is probably having an impact on the spread of ticks um, in that regard. In terms of what puts people at risk, it, it is generally being outdoors and in contact with, with nature where there's long grass um, and where the ticks can um, be residing. Usually ticks um, like to be where there's a an animal host and then they can um, drop off the animal. They, they're on the grass blades and then as people are walking through um, the countryside, it just jumps from the grass blades onto human beings. So the things that put you at higher risk are, are um, having your, your legs and your arms bare when you're walking through um, um, grassy areas um, and particularly in areas where there are um, uh, animals that that ticks like to eat off. So deer, for example, in, in Scotland would be the, the most obvious example. Mm -hmm. And so it sounds like nurses across a wider part of the country will need to be aware of tick-borne diseases going forward because, as you say, the ticks are, are living in a wider, a wider area. Absolutely. And so how does TBEV prevent, uh, present in those who have been infected? What should nurses be looking out for? That's one of the difficult things because um, a simple flu-like illness can look like many other um, flu-like illnesses. And so it's, it's very difficult in those early stages to actually differentiate it from, from any other um, viral illness. Um, and it may well be that that viral illness they settles down by themselves and, and they'll be fine to make a full recovery. Um, I think that um, having people who present with a, a, a febrile illness like that, being aware of um, people's habits where they've perhaps visited, gone travelling, um, and that travel includes within the UK, not just out with the UK, um, and, and finding out what they've been doing and what protection and pre um, preventative strategies they were um, using or not using, as the case may be. So I think it's having a hyper vigilant awareness of, of um, the risks that, that people potentially are, are, are um, exposed to when they go hill walking or walking in, in, in the countryside in the UK. So if someone presents with some of those symptoms, asking if they've been hiking in, in the areas, particularly the areas where you know it's more prevalent? Yes, I think so. And then seeking advice and, um, you know, speaking either to to local GPs or speaking and often in, in high prevalent areas, GPs are very aware of of um, the presence of ticks and a, tick, and a range of tick-borne infections, um, not just TBE. Um, I have to reiterate that it is really quite rare still in the UK. So you're much more likely to pick up Lyme infection than you are to, to pick up tick-borne encephalitis infection. So I think just being aware of ticks, being aware of the range of infections that they might um, um, pass on. Um, and, and of course, being bitten by a tick doesn't necessarily mean you will get either of these or any other of the tick-borne infections. Um, 
because not all ticks are going to be infected with all of the pathogens all of the time. So um, it, it's just about trying to prevent tick bites. Um, when you do have a tick bite, trying to remove that tick safely and carefully and not leaving the mouth parts behind. Um, and when someone's unwell, just seeking that advice from um, a healthcare professional that that has more experience perhaps with, with ticks um, and the, the tick-borne infections. And if you're in an area that um, local GPs aren't aware, then, then seeking advice from infectious diseases, microbiology or, or the travel clinics and for example the the well travel clinic has both both a pre-travel but also a post-travel um clinic associated with that with people who are on call and can answer queries and and is there do we know if there are any differences in um in the transfer of of lyme disease and tbv will you see the distinctive red bullseye rash with the the, the tick-borne encephalitis virus no, not at all. So the, the bullseye rash is very much for Lyme disease. Um, and so you may not have any rash at all with um, tick-borne encephalitis. Um, a, a range of viruses can have a very faint um, macular papular rash that can develop, but it, it isn't necessarily common. You certainly wouldn't get the, the, the bullseye appearance, which is very particular to um, Lyme infection, so to Borrelia. And, and what kinds of um, signs and symptoms should nurses be looking for if, if we look at that in a bit more detail in both the initial phase and the potentially more serious second phase? Yeah, so that initial phase, like I said, could be very vague and just be a simple flu-like illness, um, just with a bit of fever um, uh, and mild headache. But the more serious um, phase where you might have meningitis or encephalitis, so with meningitis, you would have a severe headache, you'd have a stiff neck, you might have nausea and vomiting, it would be painful to look at bright lights. Um, when the brain tissue itself starts to get inflamed, then you have a range of different neurological symptoms that might present um, and that might affect um, how you are, um, if you're confused, whether or not you're having difficulty finding the words um, that, that you want to use. If you develop a weakness, for example, a, a facial drip might happen um, or you can go on to have seizures and drop your conscious level and become quite comatose. So it, it can be to that extreme. So it can be incredibly serious um, and, and fatal, in fact, in, in rare cases. What percentage of people become seriously unwell? Are, are there any stats around that? That's a very difficult um, question to answer because we don't really know about the, the big bulk of people who have asymptomatic, asymptomatic infections. So to have a percentage of what's the percentage that people would go on to have the severe end um, is very difficult to, to answer. And I think that in the UK, whilst... Um, we don't have very many cases. Those that will reach the news and reach the headline will be those severe cases. We probably don't know much about um, a range of people who may well have had asymptomatic infection and we don't have any knowledge of that um, because we don't do surveillance within the, the UK population. Um, and we don't have so many patients in the UK to be able to get a percentage of those that have mild illness versus um, severe illness. So that's difficult to answer. And are there any factors that can put you at higher risk of becoming seriously unwell if, if in, in rare cases, you do get infected? Um, again, I don't think we know much about um, different risk factors. Generally speaking, um, older people um, for any type of encephalitis, um, it, it tends to be a poorer prognostic factor. Um, they tend to cope less well with uh, any of these encephalitic um, infections, and, and that's not specific to tick-borne encephalitis. Um, so that would be the predominant one. There's no real evidence to say that if you're immunocompromised in any other way that you would have a more profound illness. 
um, the only other factor that um, sometimes uh, has an effect on on encephalitic infections in general again is if somebody has um, been drinking excessive alcohol for example um, they tend to do uh, worse um, in terms of their prognosis already because they've got one insult on the brain and then they're getting another one um, with the whatever virus or infection it is but there's no hard and fast strict data to say that for tick-borne encephalitis specifically that's just a generalization for encephalitis. And, and what are the treatment op options like? Uh, is there any good treatment for TBEV at the moment? Well, the best form of treatment is prevention um, <laughs> because uh, there's no specific treatment for the virus itself. Um, so all the treatment that we do is symptomatic and supportive management. Um, there is no antiviral that would kill um, the tick-borne uh, encephalitis virus itself. Um, we do have a very good vaccine, however, um, that will prevent it. So definitely prevention is better than cure. And is this vaccine available in the UK at the moment? Yes, yeah, so this vaccine is, is available um, and is, is usually available for people who are traveling to high risk areas. So traditionally speaking, the, the highest risk areas um, we would have said would be in Austria, Switzerland, um, in the Bavarian region um, in Germany. But it has been spreading um, over the past few years already. So it's it's crept into eastern France, it's gone into Denmark um, and it's spreading further north as well. There's um, pockets in Scandinavia. So there's quite a, a a large belt across um, Middle and Eastern Europe. Um, there's different types of tick-borne encephalitis um, going across all the way um, from Europe through to Mongolia um, to the other end, but that um, Russian type, that um, Siberian type is much more aggressive um, than the European type that we have. Um, and the one that is endemic in the UK is, is definitely spread from the European type of tick-borne um, encephalitis. So the areas, regions within Europe that have known that they have um, tick-borne encephalitis virus endemic in their country, for example, Austria, it is um, one of the routine um, immunizations for the entire country to do that, to get vaccinated. In other parts of Europe, it is people who are at high risk, so people who are in the countryside a lot or who are working in the forestry industry, for example, that would tend to get um, vaccinated. And then people in the UK, if they're going to travel to um, those regions and, and go hiking, go through the Alps, et cetera, and, and are staying particular lengths of periods of time in those areas, they would be advised to, to get the vaccine. So it's there for people who are going to those um, high risk areas. Mm, I think probably a lot of people going off on their holiday, particularly to Europe, might not think of this, but um, as you say, rates are much higher in some parts, aren't they? Absolutely. I mean, in the UK, um, people seeking pre-travel advice um, is a little bit hit and miss. Um, and so people tend to go when they're going to, to far-flung places, um, going to sub-Saharan Africa and thinking of the risks there. But often if they were going to a European um, holiday destination, they wouldn't necessarily think about getting um, advice um, whenever they go travelling there. Um, and there are certain risks, obviously, in Europe that, that people just aren't aware of. And at the moment, it's not advised for people within the UK, I think, but the Joint Committee on Vaccination and Immunisation, which advises the government, um, is looking into the issue, I think, currently. Is that right? 
Yes, it's still very rare within the UK setting. Um, so it certainly hasn't been advised for um, vaccination within the UK setting at this state. Um, but as you say, the um, the team that look at vaccines in general will look at the, the cost and the benefit analysis of vaccinating um, for a range of different infections. And at the moment, this is still rare um, to be picking it up in the UK. So it's not advised um, to be getting a tick-borne encephalitis vaccine. And as you say, prevention is better than cure. What kind of advice should nurses um, be giving people about reducing their risk of being exposed to the virus? What, what can help protect them from getting bitten in the first place? So it's very difficult when it's nice and warm and sunny and people want to strip off and walk in their shorts and t-shirt. But in fact, the, the best thing to not get bitten by ticks is by wearing long trousers and long sleeved um, tops so that um, they can't jump from the, the grass onto your skin. Um, so generally tick bites will, they're, they're very opportunistic. They can't fly. They literally just fall onto your skin whenever you're brushing past them or if you're lying down um, in, in grassy areas where they're prevalent, they will just fall on top of you. Um, when they bite, they, they in fact um, are very pleasant. They inject um, an anaesthetic so that you don't feel the bite um, and that way they can stay attached to you and suck your blood. Um, so you won't even notice it um, whenever they do bite. And they do that on purpose, obviously, to get a good uh, meal. Um, but it does mean that you can be walking all day not realising that you've got a tick bite. So um, the best prevention really is by wearing clothes that would stop them being able to, to attach onto your skin. And so unfortunately, it's long trousers and long tr um, tops um, is the ideal. And and if you see any, remove them carefully um, to try and get the whole the whole tick. Yeah, absolutely. So ticks um, at the, the early stage before they've started feeding on you are actually very small and quite difficult to see. So um, they can be the size of a pinhead. So you can imagine trying to find them is, is quite hard. Um, as they are feeding and, and getting more and more engorged, then you can actually see them sort of the size of, um, they can go up to the size of your thumbnail. Um, so they can get quite big um, when they're fully engorged. Um, at that point, you need to be very careful whenever you remove them, that you actually use um, appropriate equipment to actually get the mouth parts out. Um, you don't want to leave the mouth parts behind and they can fall off quite easily. So you need a particular device to actually be able to squeeze and take the, the mouth parts out at the same time. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, Dr. DeFray. I really appreciate your time. Just to wrap up, what would your th three main bits of information or advice about uh, TBEV be for nurses? So I think one is a very general advice just about travel and hobbies and um, exploring with people when they come to a clinic about where they're going, what they're going to be doing and thinking about that risk and whether or not it's a low risk and a simple general tick prevention advice or if they're going to a higher risk area um, and considering vaccination. Um, and I think also uh, being vigilant of the symptoms and possible infections. So if somebody is coming in, just exploring what they have been doing, where they've been doing it, have they had any uh, potential tick bites or tick exposure or been to an area where they're likely to be um, lots of, or lots of ticks and then um, referring on and, and seeking advice from um, other healthcare professionals when there's some unusual symptoms and, and certainly with somebody's developing neurological symptoms and uh, making sure that they are um, referred to hospital um, as an emergency. Thank you so much. Thank you for sharing your knowledge and advice today. Thank you very much, Dr. DeFray. Thank you. Thank you.